Now then, where were we? Uma Jukti settles back with a smile. Ah, yes. We were speaking of how explosives were only one of the weapons available to us. And with your arrival, dear, a whole new possibility emerges. The old woman seems animated, excited by some dark prospect, the nature of which Mina cannot guess. But before we discuss our future together, there is a matter of the past to be addressed. Jukti leans forward and beckons Cadmus to come closer. When he stands rooted to the spot, two pipe runners seize his arms and drag him forward. Though his face remains impassive, Mina can see his hands are trembling uncontrollably. When she speaks, the old woman's voice is light, almost friendly. There is unfinished business between us, Healer. Had you forgotten? I had you boxed when you fled from us the first time. I am sure you remember that. Do you remember what I said would happen if you ran from us a second time? Cadmus has gone white as a sheet. He clenches his fists to still their trembling and says nothing. But in spite of his fear, he raises his gaze and meets the old woman's eyes. She runs her index finger, adorned with a pale gold ring, over Mina's pistol and smiles once more. I said, Healer, that to prevent you leaving us a third time, we would cut off your feet. Hello, and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our hero, Mina Montessario, on her journey into the unknown. For this game, I will be using the D&D 5th edition ruleset, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning. The following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer, our heroes avoided the slumbering Manabane beetles and set off into the twisting tunnels of the underpipes only to stumble into the settlement of the Pipe Runners. They were swiftly disarmed and captured, and brought before a clan matriarch, a formidable woman of advanced years. Though she saved them from instant death at the hands of the machine cultists, it seems her own plans for them may be worse still. No, you you can't, Mina cries. She makes for Cadmus's side, but a heavy blow from behind knocks her to her knees. Mina! Cadmus cries, then turns back to the clan leader, his eyes ablaze. Damn you! Leave her be! It is good to see such loyalty between comrades, Chukti nods. A rare commodity amongst you topsiders, no? Mina makes to speak again, but Chukti raises a hand, and the pipe runner standing over Mina raises a kosh to strike her once more. The words die on her lips. We will come to you in a moment, girl. But for now, you will be silent while I deal with the healer. 
dejectedly drums her fingers, her chin resting in one hand. I said that if you ran again, I would remove your means to do so. One of her men slowly draws a heavy machete from his belt. But Umjukti shakes her head. And yet, you, yourself, have brought me the means to hobble you. You will not try to leave without your machinist companion, I think. And she will not attempt to flee without you. A far more elegant solution, I think, that you both beheld here by loyalty. And most fitting, too. So here is my decree, Healer. You shall keep your feet, that you may more easily tend my warriors. Indeed, you shall not be punished for any future transgression against us. The old woman leans forward, her eyes narrowing, and the temperature in the room actually seems to drop. Instead, any punishment you incur shall be visited tenfold upon her. She extends a gnarled finger towards Mina. And be watched by you. Nothing fatal, you understand. I do have need of her, after all. But I'm sure you'll believe me when I say our methods would have her begging for death's sweet release. Cadmus slumps, defeated. She waves a hand dismissively, and Cadmus is dragged away and out of the dwelling. Mina's cries of protest only earn her another blow to the head, and then she, in turn, is dragged before the leader at the pipe drummers. Of course, that decree goes both ways, the old woman smiles. Any attempt at escape, any violence towards my people, any refusal to comply with my instructions, these shall be considered transgressions against me, and your healer friend shall bear the consequences. I hope we are quite Mina feels as though she's going to be sick. She feels overwhelmed by horror, fury and terror. She's rendered speechless, powerless. Jukti smiles. Good. I see we have an understanding. Now then, back to the matter of weapons. I can't build your people enchanted weapons if that's what you're thinking, Mina says, gesturing at the pistol in Jukti's lap. It uses my arcane focus. I can only empower one of them at a time. No, no. It is an amusing gadget, to be sure, but I have something altogether different in mind. Something on a far grander scale. Uma Jukti places the pistol on a small table by her side and fixes Mina with a piercing gaze. Once again, Mina finds herself shaken by the fierce intelligence and vigour behind those eyes. Tell me. What do you know of that which our machine cult friends call the Great Machine? Mina is taken aback. She had always assumed that the Great Machine was some deluded fantasy, a dream of madmen. At most, perhaps, some pile of scrap metal and mechanical parts being assembled somewhere by lunatics to serve as a focus for their insane worship. Jukti notes Mina's confusion. Ah. You think it simply a concoction of broken minds. Understandable, of course, but wrong. What the cultists call the Great Machine is quite, quite real. It is the heart, the guts, the, the very soul of the underpipes. It is the crowning achievement of the elder engineers, and it is easy to see why the weak-minded might worship it as a god. It is beyond our understanding, 
a magical, mechanical mind that controls every aspect of the pipes below and the city above. Heat, water, waste, power, everything. Without it, all would cease to function, all would fall to ruin. It is as vital to Kairos as the great link upon which the city sits. Nina shakes her head, bewildered. I, I don't understand. Even if all this is true, what has it got to do with me? Umajukti's smile broadens, displaying a mouth of yellowed and missing teeth. Why, isn't it obvious, my dear? I want you to switch it off. And just like that, we have a big bad, and a huge raising of the stakes. Sure, the Visitor and Alexis are antagonists to Mina, but neither stands revealed as the mastermind behind a plot to destroy the entire city. Umajukti is the real deal, a bona fide arch-villain with powerful forces on her side, a crazy plan for them to carry out, and the utter, utter ruthlessness to see it through. Of course, what we have right now is the what and the how. We have an understanding of her goals and her intended method of delivery. What we're missing is the element that can be often missed when creating villains, the why. And to make villains believable and compelling, whether it be in a solo RPG, a group game or a traditional story, the why is the most important part. What series of events brought them to this point? where their desires conflict so diametrically with the protagonists. How can we rewind from this point and understand how, from the villain's perspective, they are the hero of their own story? Because that's a human truth, as much as we might wish the world to be a simpler place. No one believes they're the bad guy. We're all the heroes of our own stories, without realising that we're probably the villains in someone else's. Even people perpetrating what, by any objective yardstick, might be considered unconscionable acts, have reached that place by taking a series of steps that ultimately leaves them feeling justified in their actions. Whether the perpetrator is conflicted in taking these actions or not is also like to be a product of those same steps. But having reached this point, those standing in their way become the villains. To try and turn Umajukti into a more believable, three-dimensional character, I'm going to have to map out those steps by asking Mythic a series of questions that fill in some of the blanks, and answer the most fundamental question of all, why is she such an absolute monster? That will be my intended focus for the next scene. Let's see if Mythic plays ball. With her elevation to supervillain status, Umajukti absolutely warrants a place in the Mythic characters list. The other thing that scene gave us was a deeper understanding of some plot threads that had been laid from the very first episode. Combined with revelations from the last episode, we now know a great deal more about what the machine cult have been up to and why. We've even learned the truth about their god. In fact, I think we've learned enough to close out the list thread, track down the machine cultists. It's probably worth explaining how that scene came together, because a lot happened there, and pretty much none of it was anticipated by me. In some scenes, narrative control is largely with the solo player. In others, like this one, the virtual GM takes the pen and doesn't let go. To kick off with, we had that teaser. 
apologies. That I'm going to chop off your feet mini cliffhanger, immediately followed by but on second thoughts I won't, was a bit of a cheap trick, I admit. But in my defence, there was genuine risk that Cadmus was going to get his feet chopped off. Here's how it played out. The scene started, as they all seem to at the moment, with an interrupt. And was it one of those happy, fluffy sort of interrupts where Mina gets a kitten, or everyone has a hug and promises to be kinder to one another? Well, what do you think? No, it was PC negative, just proving the adage that no matter how bad things get, they can always get worse. In this case, the event description was oppress the spiritual. It took me a few moments to realise that the spiritual, in this context, was Cadmus, who now I consider to be a PC rather than an NPC. And it took me a few more moments to realise that oppress, in this context, had nothing to do with his right to have babies, but instead tied back to why he was in that damp box. That minor plot thread had been nagging at me ever since Cadmus was first introduced. If you've caught yourself a shiny new healer, why would you stick him in a box? With this interrupt, I was provided with the answer. Punishment. Why had he been stuck in the box? Because he ran away. And what did oppression mean in this case? Worse punishment for running away a second time. So I asked Mythic how he was to be punished, and I saw two options. One would demonstrate my villain's ruthlessness and play into the growing bond between Mina and Cadmus, which I liked. And the other would also demonstrate ruthlessness and mutilate Cadmus beyond repair. D&D is pretty generous with healing magic, but at this sort of level, there would be no coming back from getting your feet chopped off. Thankfully, Mythic spared Cadmus, but the alternative is not a great deal better. One foot out of line and... well, sorry, no pun intended. Anyway, from there, I returned to the matter of Mina's intended part in Umajukti's plan. I asked Mythic if she was to repurpose all of the tunnel mechs, turning them into an invulnerable army of killing machines. Mythic said no. So rather than asking another yes or no question, I asked an open event question. What was the weapon that Chukti had in mind? The answer here was adjourn the intellectual. Well, that gave me the inkling of an idea, and so I followed it up with two more questions. Was there some sort of CPU controlling the underpipes? And was this CPU the Great Machine? Yes, and yes. And, just like that, we had a series main villain, a master plan, and an answer to the mystery of the machine cultists. I've said it before, and no doubt I will say it again, but the way Mythic allows you to spin up and then weave together plot threads into coherent narratives in the most unpredictable of ways never ceases to amaze me. Of course, there is no question at all, the chaos factor goes up to eight. You're mad! Bina can scarcely believe what she's hearing. You're utterly mad! Even if such a thing were possible, even if I could work the greatest machine ever built by the greatest engineers in the history of the chained world, using lost techniques that we now only understand the barest fragments of... What do you think would happen? The moment the city stopped functioning, and they realised that you were behind it, every bluecoat and army garrison would be down here in a heartbeat. Before you could blink, your precious pipes would be swarming with topsiders, and you'd all be dead before the city had time to burn. That would be a fatal mistake, Uber Jukti replies, unperturbed by Mina's outburst. 
and one I think we could easily dissuade. You see, I want you to turn it off for just an hour, and then turn it back on. Just enough time for the city to understand what is at stake, but insufficient time to do anything about it. With the great machine operating once more, and the new balance of power understood, we shall begin to discuss terms. Lena shakes her head in disbelief. Terms for what? What can you possibly hope to gain from all this? Why, the terms for the city's surrender, of course, Chukti replies. As I told you, we are at war, girl, and I will see it through until the city above is utterly defeated. It's madness, Mina snaps. Can't you see that? The city would never stand by and be dictated to by you. They call your bluff. Come down here and slaughter everyone. And set in motion their own doom? Chukti snaps in return, suddenly angry. Once again, Mina feels the room grow just a little chillier. So be it. If that is the way it must be, then that is the way it will be. The great machine will be destroyed, taking along with it the entire city of Kairos. Better mutual destruction than to live on as thralls, betrayed and forgotten by a city oblivious to our exploitation. She leans back, calming herself. The chill passes. This plan does not hinge on you, girl. You are a useful addition, nothing more. If you fail to cooperate, or cannot, then I shall proceed as I originally intended. I shall continue to bomb the city into an appropriate state of fear and paranoia, and then present my terms with utter destruction, the consequence of failure to comply. You, however, bring a missing piece to the puzzle. Proof of my claims. A genuine demonstration of the power behind the threat. Bombs are one thing. The ability to switch the city on and off at will. That is quite another. A voice, one born of panic, hysteria or madness, bubbles up in Mina's mind. Look on the bright side, it whispers. At least you won't have to marry the Duke. Mina forces it down and tries instead to reason with the madwoman. This is Pointless, Mina insists. There's simply no way I can do what you're asking. And Jukti smiles once more, though there's no humour in it. You had best hope that is not true, for your healer's sake. By the way, my plan proceeds. Horror, both existential and personal, stab at Mina like daggers of ice. This threat, however outlandish, however insane, is utterly real. Looking at the woman, she doesn't doubt for a moment that Chukti can do what she claims. Why? she asks, with little hope of answer. What could you possibly hope to gain from such ruin? Chukti's face twists in anger once more. Gain? Is it gain to beg back scraps of what was taken? Is it gain to seek redress for the basis betrayal? Her bony fists clench, and this time there's no mistaking it. Mina hugs herself against the cold. She can actually see her own breath before her. Jukti continues, her voice rising. You think me some petty thief? It is not gain I seek, you ignorant girl. It is justice. Justice for the endless, countless wrongs that have been done me. Justice for five lifetimes of wrong. Mina is astonished to see crystals of ice forming around her left hand, centred on that golden ring. Beside her, the two pipe-runners glance nervously at one another. 
Ichukti stands imperious as the pattern of ice spreads up her arm and over her shoulders. Her eyes, Mina noticed, have turned completely white, and the pipe runners are backing slowly away. The old woman raises her arms, and frost expands outward from her, coating every surface sparkling white. There is a wild, unearthly power in her words when she speaks. Well, we wanted motivation, and there we have it. Chukti's mad as hell, and she just isn't going to take it anymore. A random motivation roll indicated that revenge lay behind her attack on the city, and a mythic event roll indicated that her desire for revenge was caused by personal betrayal. Further rolls revealed something interesting. Not only is she a noble of House Tereth, but she is a lot older than she looks. And she looks pretty old. Her life is being artificially sustained by something. Well, a little rabbit hole delving provided me with the cause of that longevity, the Ring of Winter. More on that later, I'm sure. Clearly, Jukti is a lot less controlled than she first appeared. We saw hints of the anger beneath the surface in that discussion with the machine cultists, but it went full tonto in that last scene. It is essential, when thinking about important characters for RPGs or stories generally, to ask ourselves who these people are. Knowing their story, what brought them to this point is extremely useful and can provide hints as to what their personality might look like in light of their life experience. But how to factor in the nature aspect of that nature-nurture mix, and how to neatly summarise that resultant personality? How to take a complex, nuanced collection of beliefs and impulses, ripe with all the emergent behaviours that that specific, unique combination of elements produces, and turn all of it into what every GM craves? Five aspects, ranked one to five, that you can fit on an index card. There are many, many NPC personality generators out there on the internet. Some are pretty good, most, frankly, are not, and pretty much none of them, as far as I have found at least, leverage the most useful source we have available to us. Science. Psychologists today broadly agree there are five basic dimensions of personality, often referred to as the Big Five personality traits. Every one of us is made up by some combination of these five traits, ranking somewhere along the spectrum for each one. The closer one is to either end of the trait spectrum, the more pronounced that trait is. The closer to the middle, the less it should be considered a defining characteristic of the personality. The infinite variety of the human persona in five easy measurements. This, of course, is manna from heaven for the GM. We are, generally by nature, a reductive, lazy bunch, and will gravitate towards anything that takes something vast, complicated and difficult, and turns it into something small, simple and easy. And even better, in the case of this personality model, it's real science, and so we get to feel like we're doing something clever at the same time. By the way, if you are a GM who isn't a rank idler by nature, then you probably should be. Stop all that painstaking world-building and multi-hour session prep. Instead, go out at once, or, if you're keen to get into the spirit of the thing whenever you can be bothered, and read the seminal works of the Lazy Dungeon Master, Sly Flourish. Link in the show notes. 
Anyhow, the five broad personality traits described by this theory are conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness, and extroversion. C-A-N-O-E. Canoe. I like the acronym canoe for this model, as it reminds me of the old joke, drinking American bud is like having sex in a canoe. It's fucking close to water. Deriding crap macro lagers aside, the five traits break down as follows. C. Conscientiousness. Do you get important things done quickly? Prepare carefully? Do you have good impulse control, plan ahead and focus on the detail? Then you score highly for conscientiousness. Conversely, if structure and schedule are not your bag, if untidiness and procrastination are fine, if the goal-oriented life seems a bit of a drag, you score low. A. Agreeableness. A high rating in this personality dimension includes attributes such as trust, altruism, kindness, affection, and other pro-social behaviours. People who are high in agreeableness tend to be more empathic and cooperative, while those low in this trait tend to be more competitive, self-interested, and sometimes even manipulative. N is for neuroticism. Neuroticism is a trait characterised by sadness, moodiness and emotional instability. Individuals who are high in this trait tend to experience mood swings, anxiety, irritability and sadness. Those low in this trait tend to be more stable, relaxed and emotionally resilient. O. Openness. This trait features characteristics such as imagination and insight. People who are high in this trait also tend to have a broad range of interests. They're adventurous, creative and curious about the world and other people, and they're eager to learn new things and enjoy new experiences. People low in this trait tend to be change-averse and are often much more traditional and may struggle with abstract thinking. And finally, E for extroversion. High extroversion is characterised by excitability, sociability, talkativeness, assertiveness and high amounts of emotional expressiveness. People who are high in extroversion are outgoing and tend to gain energy in social situations, and being around other people helps make them feel energised and excited. People who are low in extroversion, or introverted, tend to be more reserved and have less energy to expend in social settings. Social events can feel draining and introverts often require a period of solitude and quiet in order to recharge. And there you have it. By these five yardsticks, every human that has ever lived can be defined. And if it's good enough for every human who ever lived, then it's good enough for creating NPCs. And it's useful too. Having a deep understanding of a character's persona helps us predict how they will react under stress. What will they do next? In Jukti's case, I had a choice. I could either roll randomly for each trait or choose a number. I applied this model after we'd already briefly met her, and so I decided to use the choice route. And here's what I came up with. Conscientiousness. Five. She's a planner and an organiser. She's been laying her schemes over the long term. But good impulse control? That little outburst back there didn't seem too controlled. Well, we'll get to that later. Agreeableness. No question, she is all about her. Hugs and empathy are not her scene, but she has managed to build a community and lead it for a long time, so a one is probably too extreme. I rated her a two. Neuroticism. This is where that poor impulse control comes in. Jukti is emotionally volatile, 
at least in part as a result of decades of seething resentment. A fall for this. Openness? I don't see this as a defining feature. Straight down the middle, the three. Extroversion. The first description that we got of her was lively crone. She's an assertive talker, a four for this trait. And so there we have her. Who is Uma Jukti? Well, she's five, two, four, three, four. I love this model. So much, in fact, that I've reduced myself, my family, my friends, and all my colleagues down to a series of five number summaries. They will thank me. I'm sure of it. I've not seen the model applied to RPG NPCs before, but it does seem like such a natural fit. I'm sure someone somewhere has used it, and probably many someones. But it was new to me, and seemed like an exciting discovery, so I thought I'd share. Anyhow, that's enough about modelling humans. Let's get back to the important questions like how on earth is Mina going to get herself out of this mess? We'll have to wait till next time to find out. You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review or telling your friends. It really is a huge help. You can find show notes at theloneadventurer.podbean.com. I include any links mentioned on that site, as well as my interactions with the Mythic GM emulator and any mechanics information. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.